Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do come before you understanding that it is not the uh, delivery of your word. It is not the persuasiveness of man's argument. It is not uh, the cleverness with which it's presented, but it's the word of God that has power and authority to change lives, to encourage, to rebuke, to build up. Um, we pray, Almighty God, that this word will have that authority with it. We invite your Holy Spirit to accompany the word to accomplish its purpose here tonight. So bless the message of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're going to be covering this uh, Numbers 13 through Numbers 1438 uh, tonight. We're going to cover it under four headings. Uh, the first is going to be the context. The second is going to be the consequences of a bad report. The third will be the consequences of sin. And finally, the end result of it all will be the fourth heading. So just to prepare you for that, and then we'll have a few applications afterwards. Now, uh, my wife asked me, why, why, Rick, why did you want to bring this message? And I said, that's her way of instigating my thought processes, I suppose. But uh, I said to her, I said, you know, I have, um, occasionally I'll meet a Caleb. And you can pick a Caleb out of a crowd. And, uh, and the encouragement that, that, that a Caleb provides us when we, when we meet them. And I had a very recent example. I was at the beginning of March at our uh, seminar for our dog breeders. And uh, they, we were facing a looming snowstorm. Horrible prediction. And uh, so panic was spreading among those who were going to be either coming or were already there. And... <clears throat> Some of our Amish dog breeders, because I work with the Amish, uh, they had drivers who had driven them there, and the drivers were threatening that they were going to leave because the storm looked so bad, so threatening. And there was another couple at breakfast with us, and uh, they had total peace on their face, total peace in their in their attitude, and they and they said, well. We'll just trust God. Okay, we're going to trust God. The storm ended up passing our area. Okay, and there were, and we had a good uh, a good meeting. Uh, but the panic that the world experiences was so different than this other couple that we met at breakfast. And it turned out they're pastors of a church in the Detroit area, so they were believers. And uh, and so we meet these Caleb's occasionally. Uh, I, a number of you sitting here are Caleb's to me and have been throughout the difficulties that we've faced. You know, and it's, it, you only meet a Caleb. You only recognize a Caleb when you're facing a real challenge. You're facing hard times. You've got a real obstacle in front of you, and it's then that the Caleb's shine. So we're going to be looking at that. We're going to look first at the context 
It's 1444 B.C. It's the year uh, after the exodus from Egypt. And, uh, and the author of the book is Moses. Now, Moses also wrote Deuteronomy, which is a book right after this one. And we're going to be flipping occasionally between books because we'll provi- he provides a little more information in Deuteronomy. So if you'll bear with me, we'll be mostly in numbers. But I want you to consider that you're uh, an Israelite and you're living in 1444 B.C. You, in the last year or so, were just led out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage there. And you uh, approached the Red Sea and you crossed the Red Sea on dry ground. And then you also looked back at one point and you saw a very powerful Egyptian army pursuing you. And you may have been very terrified, but then you saw this Egyptian army destroyed in front of you. And it's it's this very experience that you've just had and you recognize that clearly this is from the hand of God. Um. And then the Lord then delivers to you a command and a promise. And uh, this is Deuteronomy 1.8, I thought very clearly demonstrates the command and the promise. And he says, see, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. Well, this is the word of God. This was a command accompanied by a promise to this people. Now, following the command, it appears in uh, Numbers 13.1 that God ordained a spy mission to go in and check out the land. And he said in 13.1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. But the idea of sending in this spy mission really did not originate with God. It originated with man. And that clarification is provided in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verses 21 to 23, which gives us just a little more information. Deuteronomy 1, 21 to 23. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you, that is the Israelites, came near to me, that is Moses, and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. And Moses said, And the thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe. So this may be the first indication that Their trust in the Lord was not complete, but yet they had not sinned. Then Moses commissions the 12 spies, 
in Numbers 13, 20, and he says, Be of good courage. The same theme is reported 40 years later to the next generation, and it says from Joshua 1, 9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But it's with this encouragement to be courageous that, the, that uh, Moses sends out these uh, 12 spies into the land. He's given them instructions. He's, he's admonished them to be courageous. And they return with the following report in Numbers 13, verses 25 through 28. So Ken read it, but we're going to repeat it here. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land, and they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us, It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So as you recall from the the description of the uh, fruit, these were very large grapes. And it's interesting, anyone who was at men's breakfast last Saturday, I don't know where you got these grapes. Do you remember that? But they probably were very similar to the ones that they brought out of the promised land. They were humongous, about the size of plums, I think, each grape. So I thought you could relate to that if you were at men's breakfast. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, they said. The cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now just for clarification for anyone who's not familiar with the sons of Anak, Anak was the forefather of the Anakim, as described in Genesis chapter 6. And uh, these were giants, very tall. They were also called the Nephilim. These were mighty men of old and uh, renowned. So just then, as this report is coming across to the congregation, Caleb, one of the 12 spies, he's compelled to speak up with his own report in Numbers 13, verse 30. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. But in verse 31 through 33 of Numbers 13, the bad report continues. Then the men who had gone with him said, We are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of a very great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves, to be grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. 
So this is the end of the bad report. And the congregation grumbled. And we see in Numbers 14, verse 3, they say, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. So right then, Joshua and Caleb tried again to rally their countrymen in Numbers 14, 7b to 9. He says, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Do not fear them. So that completes our first heading, which is the context of the story here. Our second heading is, what are the consequences of this bad report? And the consequence of the bad report are that it led the people into sin. First of all, they were willing to put more confidence in the report of men than they were the promises of God. Secondly, they were cowardly. And even more, they were unbelievers. Now the word had been very clearly spoken to them even in Exodus. So I'm going to take us to Exodus chapter 33 verses 1 through 2. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. <clears throat> and if you turn back a few chapters to Exodus chapter 23, verses 28 through 30, he says, And I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possess the land. So we see, and I'm going to return again to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 8 where it says, see, I have set the land before you. Go in, take possession of it, uh, of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and their offspring after them. And despite these many promises, what did the people do? What was their response and their response uh, is, is well said in Psalm 106, verse 24 to 25. 
which says, then they despised the good land. Having no faith in his promise, they murmured in their tents, and they did not obey the voice of the Lord. These ten men were successful in raising a mutiny because of their unbelief. And not only that, but they raised a charge against God by saying, our wives and our little ones will become a prey. They actually accused God of malice and evil intent. And they went on to say, our young ones among us, (laughs) uh, they're going to be eaten. (laughs) They'll be destroyed like a prey is destroyed by a predator. And this kind of unbelieving heart, you know, inevitably leads us away from the living God as described in the Bible. And it starts us on a slippery slope where we stop trusting in his commands, we stop trusting in his promises, we stop trusting in his goodness. It even denies the salvation promise through a Messiah that was promised to those who would yet come uh, before the Christ's appearing, and, that, and for us too who would believe in the Messiah that came 2,000 years ago. So it denies the very love, the goodness, the forgiveness of sins uh, uh, th- that are obtainable through faith in Jesus Christ. And again, uh, Hebrews 3.12, if you'll turn to Hebrews, actually d- identifies... <coughs> The root sin. Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. This evil and unbelieving heart, again, will inevitably lead us away from the living God that is described in the Bible. So let's stay in Hebrews 3 for a minute, if you're still there. And look at verse 6b through 19. And there's a quote right in that section of Scripture from Psalm 95 which describes the incident that we've been reading about. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart 
leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So we can see that hardening our hearts to the truth of God as revealed in the scripture is sin. In Romans 1 verse 20, he states, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So it's clear that not only Scripture speaks to us about God, but the very creation itself speaks to us about God. You know, I was in vet school and studying physiology, and as we studied the function of the cell, the function, the different functions of the body, I was just amazed and, and drawn back by the complexity of, all, of it all. <laughs> the intelligence or the wisdom that took to create this remarkable organism and the way it in almost every case works. And uh, I wasn't a believer yet, but I was definitely being drawn, okay, just from that experience and that, that learning. Um, and the word says that we really, uh, because of creation itself, are without excuse to be in, in unbelief. So let's not harden our heart in unbelief. So we've covered the context, we've covered the consequence of the bad report. Now let's go to the consequence of their sin. Because of their hard hearts, they became very angry. And the congregation was ready to stone Caleb and Joshua. Matthew 23, 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. You know, I have spent uh, several occasions at the abortion rescue ministry in Grand Rapids where the gospel's being presented and, of course, sin is being presented also. But the message of the, the good news of the gospel, the message of the gospel is going forth and people are praying, and I am amazed at the reaction of many, the angry reaction of those who drive by and, uh, and uh, say things, imply things as they drive by. The, the anger 
that the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ engenders is amazing to me. And, and uh, because of their unbelief. And this is what we're seeing here. Because of their hard hearts, they became angry. They actually wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua. And God judged them for their sin. Um, we're going to turn to Numbers 14, 11 to 12. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. The Lord's intention was to annihilate them because of their sin. Now Moses once again becomes the intercessor. He intercedes for the people. One commentator said this is an example of the uh, scripture from James where it says, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And Moses pleads with the Lord, we uh, can read it, and says basically if those that are looking on at what's happening to the people of Israel, if they see this, uh, this happen, they're going to say that God was unable to take these people into the promised land. God relents the annihilation that he originally planned. He mitigates the sentence or he lessens that sentence. And uh, we turn then to Numbers 14, verse 28 to 30. Where he now lays out his plan. He says, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now you don't have to turn to it, but Deuteronomy chapter 1, 34 to 39 says more of the same. And the Lord heard your words and was angered, and he swore, not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. And to him and to his children I will give the land on which he was trodden, because he has wholly followed the Lord. Even with me the Lord was angry, meaning Moses, on your account, and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. So Moses is now describing what he's going to do to that next generation. 
after he has cleaned the unbelievers out of the congregation. And we also see that God gave them over to their faithless predictions and fears. Isn't that interesting? And it's very convicting to me the number of times that I've had worries and predictions and dreaded this or dreaded that. I'm asking the question, has it come out of an unbelieving heart? And, the, and, and I can't tell you the nights I've laid awake with thoughts of doom and destruction, especially for our, little, our church here. It, it, I, I ask myself, have these thoughts come out of uh, a sinful, evil, unbelieving heart of unbelief? And, and does this describe you as any of your thoughts, any of the times that you've had these kinds of temptations. So what happened to the ten evil spies? It's described in Numbers 14, uh, verse 36 to 38. And the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing up a bad report about the land, They died by plague before the Lord. And of those men who went to spy out the land, only Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, remained alive. An evil and unbelieving heart must be punished, for it is sin. And the presence of unbelievers in the congregation will sap the very strength and vitality out of the congregation. So we've covered the context. We covered the consequence of the bad report. We covered the consequence of the sin. Now let's look at the end of the story. What ultimately happened. And that's described in Numbers 14, verse 31. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. So this next generation is going to go in in faith, and they're going to take the land that was promised to their fathers. And only Caleb and Joshua from the last or previous generation would accompany them. So it's interesting to me that at no time did God deny the facts that were presented in the bad report. He did not deny that there would be challenges, and these challenges were enormous. And uh, looking at Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, you can see this. He says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know, and of whom you have heard it said, 
who can stand before the sons of Anak. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. So the overwhelming facts of the story are true. The challenges are real. (laughs) And this is true for us too. We face often, and maybe more into the future, overwhelming challenges and trials. Okay, we finished our four headings. Now let's look at a few applications for us. We know that unbelievers will perish because of their unbelief. And we know that believers will enter into God's rest. And I really liked what it said in Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 8. If you want to turn there. Revelation 21, 5 through 8. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So what are we to learn from the story of the spies? And the question I've asked myself, what's the difference between the ten and the two? Caleb's first comment was, if the Lord delights in us, we will overcome. Now, how do we know whether the Lord delights in us? Hebrews 11.6 And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we see that it's our faith and our trust in God that delights our God. And he is near to us. He's promised, Philippians 4, 5b through 7, 
The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So our question tonight is each of us to ask ourselves, can believers fall into times of disbelief? Yes. Is it sin? Yes. Are we capable of leading others into a mutiny at times? Yes. And are we being watched by the world, by unbelievers? Answers absolutely yes. They're watching to see how we come through these times of challenge, how we come through times where we have real challenges, obstacles to face, giants to face. How are we going to handle that? We're being watched. Matthew Henry states this. He says, Unbelief or distrust of God is a sin that is its own punishment. Those who do not trust God are continually vexing themselves. So what does this term vexing mean? It means we're worrying, we're anxious, and these anxious thoughts become giants to us, right? Now, normally, given a set of facts, we can predict an outcome. Uh, my brother, and Kevin will understand this, he was a Six Sigma as an engineer. You know what Six Sigma is. And he would always say, he would say, Rick, what is, what's the data? Give me the data. And he would be able to predict an outcome. But I'm saying to you tonight, you add God to the data and the outcome is unpredictable and, and, and totally different than what we have anticipated and feared. Is it not? Add God to the equation, to the data, and the outcome is not what we anticipate or fear. We also, like these spies, are encouraged to be courageous. We are encouraged to be more than conquerors. And even Revelation talks about those who, who conquer, who hold on to the end, will receive. But we're more than conquerors. So we need to believe the promises of God as they tell us who we are as a believer. That's critical. Because remember, without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him. So Matt talked to us about the Great Commission. And in that Great Commission, from the end of Matthew, we had both a command and a promise. Do you remember the command? Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations and teach them to obey all the commandments that I have 
given you. Okay? But what's the promise? As Matt clearly laid out to us, the promise was that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Given to God. Given to our Savior. On, or in heaven and on earth. All authority. And then he also says, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that whole concept, has he left us? No, he's not going to leave us. So what do we have to fear? We've received our command. We have his promise. So I'm asking Harbor Church, Can we really push back the darkness in Holland, Michigan? We were challenged also by saying, if we did not exist, would it make a difference here in Holland? So my question to you is, can we make a difference here in Holland? Other questions have come up. You know, are we going to be able to survive financially? You know, will we ever have a plurality of elders when our sole elder is as old as Methuselah? Let us not shrink back with an evil, unbelieving heart. But let's go on and be a Caleb. Full of faith. Full of courage, believing in the promises of God. And, and uh, so I look forward to a, a church full of Caleb's as we go forward. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We've heard it so many times before. But we ask, O Lord, that you give us, through your Spirit, the confidence in your Word, the confidence in your promises. Help us to take captive, Father, all the worry, the anxiety, the anxious thoughts, the prophecies of doom that that, uh, plague us during the night watch. May we hold fast to this word of God and Father bless us and keep us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.